Sports Radio 610 presents Payne and Pendergast. I, I don't want to be um I don't want to be one of the people I despise, which is I as I've mentioned, Seth, when I pulled out my list of things that annoy me that I carry on my phone with me. I've shown you that list and talked about it on the air before. One of the things that annoys me is people demanding an apology for having a wrong sports opinion. You know, like you owe so and so a big apology because you thought yeah. dot dot dot. I don't want to be that guy. And yet I am anxious to hear what all the people who thought that the Texans were insane for trading their first-round pick for Will Anderson have to say for themselves right now. The Texans' pick is going to be the 27th pick in the draft, and um, and they still gave up a lot to get Will Anderson to move up from 12 to 3. I mean, they still gave up their second-round pick last year right, and right, now the right. 27th pick. But I think most Texan fans feel pretty good about that trade right now, about the Will Anderson trade, right? Uh, yeah, I think, uh, I think most of them – Probably do. Might be a poll. I, uh, like now that we know where the pick is, yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna do a poll. Right. I Continue. guess. I mean, there's gonna be. I, I would say there's probably a lot of like the more analytically inclined would still say, all right, regardless of how it worked out, the reasoning behind it was too much of a gamble or what have you. I I do think that having spent the season watching Will Anderson and the way he operates, that the intangibles are like it's a different type of intangible with this guy. And and uh, nobody and, and this is understandable. Nobody ever buys that at face value because you hear so much nonsense about how guys are awesome dudes that it all just becomes white white noise at some at some point. And like the thought that a guy's such a good guy that he's going to come in and really help change an organization or be a leader this or a leader that is just so often overblown that I think people are very very skeptical of it. I I. I I think that with Will Anderson, it's all completely justified. I don't know how many people I've met or seen in the NFL that operate quite like he does, um, especially amongst you know defensive players like non non quarterback type guys. Uh, it's really it's it's an infectious enthusiasm and positivity and uh, like an energy level that it, it, like, it has no option but to set the tone. It's really, really cool to see. Yeah, and Will Anderson is obviously not a finished product yet. Yeah. I think part of what you're talking about, Seth, and we're going to hear from Will here in just a second, yeah. I think part of what you're talking about is, and, and my, my feeling like the trade was worth it, is watching him operate for a year, listening to him talk, hearing the stories about him behind the scenes and his work ethic. I feel like there's a greater chance that Will Anderson is going to become the finished product we expect, then your average yeah. player would become that finished. You know, the, your average human being oh, right, would become right. that guy. Yeah, there's going to be an ascension yeah. as he just keeps checking off these boxes, kind of the way CJ has done with his game. And yes. I saw it. Well, the guy, I kind of started making a wish list at, at the beginning. Wish list, a wish list at the beginning of the season for the things I wanted to see out of Will from a technical standpoint by the end of the year, and he and he checked off all the boxes. Mm-hmm. So, like, I'm really excited to see what he does in the off season now that he really understands more. Uh, the challenges of being a, a a pure edge rusher in the NFL, which he wasn't in college. That that alone was an adjustment for him. Not and then also learning a new scheme. But like this is when it comes to the intangible side. I was talking to Brandy about it this morning. I played this audio for her. like I don't know of a 22 year old who thinks this way necessarily. Sarge Sarge had asked him a question about changing the culture in the organization, and and this is what, how he answered. Let's just go show love. Let's just have energy. Let's just, wherever we walk by, whether it's a nutritionist, custodian, 
security guard that's at the front, like, how can we make them feel love for coming here, working for the Texans, the stadium, everything like that? So no matter who it is, and that's how you change your culture. That's how you get everybody, you know, wanting to be a part of something special. Like, they just probably over there just standing around. But you come in and you say, hey, how you doing today? I hope you have a great day. Now they look forward to coming back to work. You know what I'm saying? I think it's the same thing in the locker room. Like, that person may not be feeling the love. What's up, bro? You good? How you doing today? You good? Like, workers may may have be be down. You don't know. And I think that's just one thing that's how you change a culture is just speaking to everybody, making everybody feel love, no matter what your status is, no matter what your rank is. We're all in this together. We're all trying to change the culture. We're all trying to win. So just be as one, and we'll have fun doing it. So uh, like wow. I like I don't like I don't know most like I don't think most forty eight year olds like feel that way or no think that, that might way. be that might get beaten out of him by the time he's forty eight <laughs> yeah <laughs> all right fine Sean I'm trying to be less cynical okay can you just give me a, I'm can joking you give me this can you give me this hope for I'm a I'm, bit? I'm joking I know I think he is legitimately wired this way like I like, uh, this is who he is for sure. So, so that part of it, I, and I just know, honestly, from talking to Coughlin uh, when I was a younger player, Coughlin, Coughlin didn't quite have the same <laughs> level of uh, same personality as Will Anderson. You think? Um, but there was a part of him that wanted guys to understand that they were part of an organization. Yeah. That it's not just the players and everything. And it's just, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an ability to look outside of yourself, I think, that is rare in a lot of people in general, not to disparage 22-year-olds. Uh, he's just like that. So when it comes to talking about when you want guys that to help change a culture or have a certain type of culture, usually it's way overblown. I think when your guys, when your guys who are your your lead gooses on offense and defense are both kind of wired that same way, you know, and CJ and Will have different personalities, but that same, I, they have that same approach. That goes a long, long way. Yeah, I, if you think they overpaid for Will Anderson, I think that is part of what they overpaid for. I, my yeah. guess is when they sat down with him for the first time, he was their first 30-visit guy. You know, they get 30 visits to the stadium. He was the first one. For them, they were the first one for him. And my guess is that he blew them away with his personality, and they felt like, okay, and especially once they you know, sat down with CJ as well. I, I've been saying that since draft night, well, is that, you know, they, they, that a big part of why they overpaid for Will Anderson was to recalibrate the culture in the building and on both sides of the football. I would, you know what I would say though too. I like I think the meetings the meetings would have mattered a little bit um, or a lot, whatever. But I, I think the the fact that the scouting reports on on Will would have been unanimously yep. like exactly what you just heard because there are a lot of guys that can fake it in a meeting yeah. in a meeting. You know, and a lot a lot of times the guys who are the most enthusiastic yeah. are the ones, especially as football players, where you kind of got to be like, all right, this guy's this guy's saying all the right stuff, but man, like. Uh, I, I'm reading from his strength coach that he was late to half of his workouts. Like the guys, they're full, they're BSers, you know. So without the background, if Will came in and talking that talk, and I didn't know a thing about him, and I like, I, and I hadn't done the background check or any check or anything, I'd be like, all right, that's cool, man, whatever. Um, but the fact that the report on him from everybody was that, yeah, that's that guy like that, that he's that same way when times are tough or when, you know, after a loss and everything, um, that's, that's the thing that really went. Yeah, no, that's a good point. I should say maybe the meeting was confirmation of all the things that they'd heard about him. I mean, obviously the the organization has a bit of an Alabama fetish to begin with. So they probably, they're very plugged into that organization. I mean, all 32 teams are, it's freaking Alabama. (laughs) Yeah. You know, the cool thing about Alabama though, too, and a guy like Saban is. 
Uh, I'd be really, really surprised if Saban ever blows smoke up anybody's butt about yeah. a recruit. I'm guessing he gives. I'm guessing he gives the exact opinion of that kid, you know, to to scouts because he's got so many guys. He has a he has an obligation to them to to not sugarcoat the bad things because then his really good guys aren't gonna get the the treatment they deserve. Yeah, I wonder too. Like I think about it, like the time frame where Will got drafted and where he was going through his scouting process like I you know do does Nick Casario talk to Bill O'Brien still you know O'Brien was in the building when Will Anderson was there he was the offensive coordinator like you know maybe yeah. maybe even a, there was a Bill O'Brien scouting report in there just about Will Anderson and man I was the OC but boy that guy had an effect on the whole building that kind of thing who knows you know what this might take a second Ben I'm sorry but since we're on the topic of uh Alabama uh can we can we pull up Will Anderson three um because this was uh, Saban makes an appearance in here, very surprisingly so. And this was this was whether D'Amico met Will's expectations. Bro, um, overly exceeded them, overly. And I don't usually rank my all the head coaches I've ever had, but man, he show up there. I tell you, bro, like he got he might be number one, bro. Overcoat Saban, dog, like, bro, like. <laughs> <laughs> bro, but like, <laughs> but no, nah, man, he's he's just a great dude. He's a really great dude, and I tell people all the time. He say, "Hi, Coach Ryan." I said, "Bro, honestly, bro, like, I view him as a coach, but I also view him as a player. Like, I view him still as like he's just a captain on the team sometimes because that's the way he approaches us. Like, he approaches us like he still is playing the game, and like, and I think that's why it's so easy for all of us to like comprehend and understand like how he operates and what he wants to get done because." He commands that type of, you know, excellence and expectation and standard through everybody throughout the whole organization. And I mean, when you have a head, and he's like, he's like, co- like he can coach you. You know what I'm saying? Like he knows, like he's been, in the, he's been in the league. He knows, and he knows how to coach. And that's the thing. Another thing that I respect about him, man, like the way he cares about his players, the way he loves his players. He wants it so bad. He just gives all that love and energy into his players. And I know it just makes us want to keep playing for him. All right, that's it. That's it. The, the, the Texans are not approaching free agents. Free agents have to apply to become a Houston Texan. That's it. It's, it's like it's like applying. They got to apply. It's like applying to Harvard now. You got to apply to become a Houston Texan, and we'll um, see. Maybe you get waitlisted. Sh- maybe maybe I'm you not, get accepted. We'll see. Listen, listen. I'm not sure you're aware of this or not, but our coach was power ranked number one above Nick Saban on the on the Will Anderson list the, of head coaches in the in the Anderson computer poll. Yes. Uh, yeah. You can go buy it in grocery stores. The uh, the Will Anderson head coaching power rankings. So. Uh, that was honestly, he was. I was wondering if that was going to become clickbait because he was so obviously was be. kind of. It like, should be. He was like, I, I, I looked for, I looked, I looked for, um, I looked for a headline just with a brief search, and the only thing I found after Will Anderson, uh, frankly, flamed Nick Saban was uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, an article about Nick Saban giving the most profuse praise for a player they've ever heard him give praise for in, in uh, praising Will Anderson. <laughs> oh, and that's how Will reciprocates by putting him behind D'Amico Ryans. Um, yeah. That was great. Dude, the reaction in the room was the best. Ben, can we play that one more time? Just the beginning. Uh, we'll we'll down cue you. I just, the reaction in the room was the best part. Bro, um, overly exceeded them. Overly. And I don't usually rank my all the head coaches I've ever had. But man, he show up there. I tell you, bro. Like he got, he might be number one, bro. Overcoat saving dog, like, bro, like. <laughs> <laughs> we're good. Bro. We're good. 
that the reaction in the room was awesome. Um, so yeah, D'Amico Ryan's number one on the Anderson rankings. What, what Saban had said was that Will Anderson is a throwback player who will run through a wall. He has great ability, but he plays to that ability because he's a dog ass competitor. Yeah, accurate. Which I've it's a it's a phrase I've never heard before. Dog but, ass. Uh, yeah, sounds like it's good. I don't think he meant it like he's he's ass. He's a dog <laughs> ass. Sa- it sounds in a vacuum like it's bad, but within that context, <laughs> yeah. I think it's I think it's I think it's pretty good. The other thing with Will Anderson yesterday that was was making kind of the rounds. It it, it actually involves C.J. Stroud. Reportedly, as you know, I think as you and I have discussed in this segment, Seth. These are two guys that are wired very similarly, but I think outwardly express it differently. CJ's a probably a, a, maybe a you know more dialed back personality wise, and Will's more expressive. Um, CJ revealed yesterday that when they came back to the locker room after the game, the loss to the Ravens, Will Anderson was crying at his locker, and CJ Stroud told him, "We got this, dog." It's something I've learned in league, man, is like um, you can't let let your emotions fluctuate. And uh, I told Will, man, you're the Honestly, man, he's probably the most talented player, one of the t- most talented players I've ever been around in my life. I mean, we're going to be back in this moment. You can promise, you, like, you, I can promise you that. Like, it might not, I don't know when it's going to be, how it's going to be, who's going to be on this team, but we're going to get back. And um, I just want to let him know, man, like, um, I appreciated everything that he did for us that year. I just wanted to see his head up high, you know. I just want to see him encouraged and, and positive. So that's CJ. Now here's yeah. Will. Which, which he didn't out Will on that. Will had first admitted that he was crying in the locker room. And gotcha. Then, uh, yeah. Yeah. So here is here is Will on uh, on his side of that. Yeah, I was crying after the game, and he wasn't crying. So, and he came. He said, "You good? We good? We straight? We gonna we gonna be good next year?" And I'm like. What? Wiping, my wiping his tears away. Cap said we're gonna be good next year. <laughs> so I, I draw my tears up, man, and I, I just looked at it from his perspective that he gave me after we talked, and he was just like, "Bro, like, just think about how much we've come from, like, how much better we're gonna be next year, bro. Like, we're headed in the right direction." Yeah. Do you feel bad about making fun of that Bills fan crying yesterday? No, no, that no that's now different. That Will that, that's crying? that's very di- no, not, not at all. Not like I was. What if Will, making fun of the what Bills if Will was crying as what if Will was crying as hard as the Bills fan was crying? He had the not ex- just kind of tearing, but just like sobbing, sobbing, and with the with the stocking cap pulled down over his eyebrows, like that guy had it. What if what if Will was curled up in his locker, just like hey, bawling uncontrollably? Hey, that Bills. I said this yesterday, and I'm curious if you, if you agree with me. If that Bills fan is smart. He capitalizes on this fifteen minutes of fame and gets a commercial for something. I don't a know commercial. what. Like, oh yeah, like a local yeah. commercial up in Buffalo for something that involves crying. And he's got to cry like he did in in that shot after the game. You know who? Uh, you know who does that? Um, oh, is it Ryan Reynolds? They do. Uh, he does commercials. It's called. Uh, uh, it's like extreme speed response advertising. He did it with that Peloton commercial that was was all controversial a couple years ago yeah he he found that woman from the peloton commercial and showed her at the bar having drinks with her friends like they had that commercial out within like 48 hours of that new, that becoming uh newsworthy yeah and uh yeah yeah the ryan reynolds would be good with this guy he should yeah. be in touch that guy should be in touch with ryan reynolds the big one i always think of is when steve harvey screwed up the miss universe pageant and announced the wrong country as the winner yeah and yeah. people are like this is gonna ruin steve harvey forever and next thing you know, like two days later, he's got a, like a Verizon commercial out of it or something <laughs> like that. Like, no, it's not. Steve Harvey knows what he's doing. Um, all right, Payne and Pendergast with you on a uh, on a Tuesday. Ross Tucker. Ross was on the call for Westwood One for the Ravens 
and the Texans. So we'll get Ross's big initial takeaway from that game on the Houston Texans. Ross Tucker is our Odyssey NFL insider, and he joins us next. Sports Radio 610 presents Payne and Pendergast. All right, let's get to it. Our Odyssey NFL insider, Ross Tucker. Insider calls brought to you by Old Spice. Men have skin, too. And Ross was on the call. He was part of the broadcast team on Westwood One for Ravens and Texans in Baltimore this weekend, and he joins us on the hotline right now. Ross, um, so if you were if you were doing a, like one of those quick-hit columns after the game where you're like, takeaways from the divisional round for all eight teams – as someone who watched the 60 minutes, that 30 of them were okay for the Texans and 30 were really bad, what was your big Texans takeaway from that game on Saturday? Came away even – you guys got me? Yeah, we got you. Gotcha. Yep. I, I guess I came away even more impressed with C.J. Stroud in person, which I think is – Pretty hard to do, especially when you consider they didn't score an offensive touchdown. <laughs> they get to the um, red zone, Ross. They didn't make it to the red zone one time in the game. You know, it's so interesting that you say that. Um, at no point did I feel like he wasn't really playing well. It's weird. I mean, I, I you know, I know that Dalton Schultz had a drop. It felt like, especially in the first half, they moved it pretty decently. I guess I was impressed with just his poise. You know, I mean, I don't, I don't think he was sacked once. Mm-hmm. He has better mobility than I realized. Uh, he did a nice job of escaping. It seemed like, honestly, a lot of times he had to throw the ball away or, you know, try to find somebody late. But he made some fantastic throws. I think he's a really, really good player. I'd be highly encouraged if I were the Texans. Like, I, I came away – thinking that that was still a positive C.J. Stroud performance as opposed to one that's like, oh, he's not ready. Like, I, I, didn't, I didn't feel that way. I don't think the rest of the team around him was ready. I thought that the Ravens made really good adjustments at halftime, mm-hmm. and the Texans didn't really have a counter, right? So the Texans were bringing a lot of pressure in the first half. It was working. They were getting to Lamar. They were disrupting him. They were sacking him. Second half, the Ravens had some answers with the quick passing game to defeat the Blitz, and and it worked, obviously. Yeah, I guess uh, on the C.J. Stroud side of things, I've gone back and I've tried to figure out, okay, was was C.J. overly rattled by the – the bad offensive line play or the awesome Ravens defensive play. I have a hard time saying that he was overly rattled by it. I think he was appropriately rattled by it because I, at some point, you know, when your offense commits five pre-snap penalties in the first quarter, I don't, I don't think he had a single bit of trust in that offensive line um, for the rest of the game. And, and, and I don't think he should have had any trust in them. What, what do I – what do I do to make myself feel better about the fact that the offensive line could not stay? They 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 they, they had false start after false start after false start um, because it got a little too loud for their delicate eardrums. It's not it's not a good look, um, and it's a little surprising to me. You guys have to take me back to the Saturday win and you're in game. Did they have that issue in Indianapolis at all? Not that I recall. I mean, there may have been one or two. I think Tunsil had a couple false starts in Tunsil's that game. good for about seven false starts per game. <laughs> yeah, that's a, it's been a Laramie. Ross, that's yeah. been a Laramie issue for, for literally his entire time as a Texan here. Yeah. 
You know what's funny? You, um, as an offensive lineman, you get a real negative when you give up a sack or a pressure hit on the quarterback. Holding penalties a real negative. But if you don't do those other things, it's like they're kind of okay with the false start on some yeah. level. And that's something that Laramie tries to do to try to get just that little bit of an edge, tries to jump the count. And obviously that's what he was trying to do again on Saturday. I thought, um, and I'm, I, I've seen this kid play, I think I called all three of his state championship games when he was in high school, Drew Scruggs. Mm-hmm. thought he was a little overmatched at, yeah. uh, at left guard yeah. against Matabike. I mean, you know, that's asking a lot to have a guy that played center at Penn State. All of a sudden he's in a playoff game at guard. And that's, I think that's asking a lot. And I thought, I thought he struggled. I thought they pretty clearly were not, were not good enough up front, whether it was the blocking or the penalties. I do think that that affected Stroud. But I think what was probably more concerning is like how many times did he escape to his right and then either just a couple times he completed it or run out of bounds or throw the ball away, you know, without going back and watching the coaching tape, I'm just watching it live, right? So I'm watching as much as I can, but it's hard to know how many of those – I'd have to go back and see how many of those were quick pressures and how many of those were more like nobody's open, coverage issues, or was Stroud fooled by some of them and, you know, was just trying to buy time because who he thought he was going to throw it to was not there. I just – I remember some really good throws to Schultz, and Schultz had the one drop. I I remember him getting the ball to Nico Collins. I just – I also remember halftime thinking the Texans were getting the better of the action for the most part. And obviously, Fairbairn missed the 47-yard field goal. But, man, I'm in Baltimore, and I know all those people. I'm, like, going to the bathroom and in line to get food at halftime, and there was some there was some anxiety. There, there was some tension on the faces of the members of the Ravens organization. And I think rightfully so. I, I think I came away thinking, oh, boy, man, the Texans, they're right there. And then second half, it was like the Ravens shifted it into a different gear. Yeah, yeah. That's um, I that defense, Ross. When you talk about CJ, you know, sometimes hurrying it, perhaps, um, or sometimes fleeing the pocket too early or, or, or throwing it away. I the the defense in general. The one thing I'd say is, I mean, CJ's face defenses that do a good job of disguising and do a good job of rotating coverages and everything. I feel like the Ravens are just so crisp with everything, and I think they 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 do such a, a great job of selling it um, that I, I got to like, I don't, I, I think there's very few quarterbacks that aren't going to be flummoxed by that to some degree. And you know, like as an well, offensive I'm lineman, you, I'm I, glad you said that because yeah. they've done that to everybody. I mean, look what they yeah. did to Tua. Yeah. Look what they did to Brock Purdy. You know, I mean, they've pretty much done that. I don't know that anybody's really put up points on them this year. I mean, we'll see what Mahomes does on, on Sunday, certainly. And I'll be on the sideline for that one looking forward to it looks like it'll be a lot warmer than it was this past Saturday which is good and who knows maybe that affected the Texans a little bit as well uh it was nice talking with some of their coaches before the game I got a chance to talk to Case Keenum for a while I saw CJ doing his whole basketball thing Mm -hmm. I don't know why he does that stuff but everybody should probably do it like I should probably do it before I go on the radio just like start (laughs) shooting the basketball all, all the weird stuff he does 
I mean, yeah. it was freezing, and he's out there like shooting threes with Bill Lazor. I was like, okay, maybe I need to shoot <laughs> some threes before my next broadcast. You know what? He talked about that, and part of it was um, he like made a conscious decision to try to loosen up a little bit for, before games psychologically. Like, and just, uh, to make his warm up something he could actually enjoy doing and kind of get him and do all those movements and everything. But also just, uh, it, the way you described it, it sounded as like, it was almost a reminder that it's supposed to be a game, you know, like you're supposed to have fun with it aside from the, the physical. You know what, you know, and you know what, Seth, I said this, uh, at least once or twice during the game, nothing about him watching him, even in that game said rookie to me, Mm -hmm. like, he wasn't sacked once against the Ravens. I mean, that's really hard to do, especially when his offensive line wasn't playing. Great. I saw this clip where Roquan Smith was mic'd up. Have you guys seen this yet? Mm-mm. Where Roquan Smith's flying around, like hitting people during the game, and then he he tries to get to Stroud, who's run out of bounds and like dives and misses, and Stroud comes out. And C.J. Stroud says something to him like, um, you want to hit me so bad, don't you? And and Roquan Smith's like, yep, or something like that. Or he's like, he's like, and he's like, heck yeah. And just the fact that Stroud, as a rookie, is saying to like a team captain, first team all pro, after he runs out of bounds, like, you want to hit me so bad, don't you? And, and Roquan's like, yes. Like, it, it, it just, the fact that Stroud even says that, like, he's just awesome. Like, yeah. he's just totally um in control calm and like i don't know if i'm a rookie i'm not saying anything to roquan smith <laughs> yeah know? yeah no the and the, the respect level seems to be really high for him too with with veteran guys both on his team and on on other teams we're talking to ross tucker he's our odyssey nfl insider insider calls brought to you by old spice gentlemen's blend body wash providing exfoliation and moisturization because men have skin too um ross uh so this game you're going to be on the sidelines for this afc title game what are your thoughts on this game? I mean, from what you've seen from the Ravens, and obviously the Chiefs, it's a little different kind of feel for the Chiefs this year, but they're right back in the AFC title game, this time on the road. What, what's your, what are your early thoughts on this game? Well, I think thought one is uh, the Chiefs are just so impressive. You know, to, to, be, to have the season that they had and yet still beat two quality teams in Miami and Buffalo to make the – AFC championship game for a sixth straight year. It's just so hard to do. I mean, the Niners could have easily lost to the Packers Saturday night. And if that's the case, then the Eagles, Cowboys, and Niners would have had combined zero playoff victories this year. I mean, wow. it's hard. It's hard to win these games. And the Chiefs win at least one and a lot of times more than one every postseason. Really impressive. Um, so that's one thing that jumped out to me. I guess I feel like this would really be um, a, a really tall task for the Chiefs. You know, they're coming into it banged up, too. Like, they kind of lost Willie Gay. He says he's going to play, but he's sort of the guy that spies the quarterbacks. The Bills got the better of them up front. Josh Allen was able to run on them. That's not a good sign when you're playing Lamar Jackson and the Ravens, that Josh Allen was able to run and the, and the Bills were able to run so well. That's a bad sign for the Chiefs. And the Bills were just so beat up on defense. That is not the case with the Baltimore Ravens. They're, it sounds like they're getting Marlon Humphrey back. It sounds like they're getting Mark Andrews back. Whereas the Chiefs, I don't know if Mike Edwards will clear concussion protocol. I don't think they'll have Joe Tooney at left guard. That's a problem. 
because then it'll be Allegretti having to go against Matabike, who's a monster. That guy's going to get so much money, Seth, yeah. it's not even funny. I mean, <laughs> unrestricted free agent with a career-high 13 sacks, and he's a dominant player. I mean, man, I guess the Ravens don't usually franchise tag guys, though. Like, they've always had that philosophy, like, let their guys go, and if they can get more money, then they get more money, and I guess they franchise Lamar, but I don't know. Well, I'll be curious to see what they do there. Ross Tucker, he is our Odyssey NFL insider. Insider calls brought to you by Old Spice. Men have skin, too, and he'll be on the call on the sidelines for the AFC title game, a game you'll hear this weekend on Sports Radio 610 on Westwood One. Ross, we appreciate the time, as always. Uh, safe travels. Enjoy the game. We look forward to hearing you on the call, man. Yeah, should be great. Looking forward to talking to you guys next week. I'm assuming, are you guys rooting, are people in Houston rooting for the Ravens because that's the team that beat the Texans, so it makes you feel better, or do you root against the Ravens because that's the team that beat the Texans? We're, this show is rooting for the Ravens because Patrick Mahomes is corny and Taylor Swift is annoying. How's that? Yeah. Uh, just, <laughs> that that is fine. I, I can see, I think most people are probably rooting against the Chiefs just because they're kind of sick of them. Yeah, yeah, the Netflix uh, series quarterback uh, really made Pat Mahomes look like a an annoying dude. Yeah. That, that sealed the deal for me. Yeah, <laughs> love it. See you guys. All right, see you, Ross. Appreciate you, the great Ross Tucker, joining us here on Sports Radio six ten. All right, um, up next, top of the hour, our eight at eight, the Ocho. We're gonna get you eight stories, get your day going. Um, D'Amico Ryan's. We've got a great question on the text page that I'm anxious to bounce off of Seth about the offensive line. And it leads into something that D'Amico Ryan said they absolutely have to improve this offseason. We will get to the Texans head coach on that topic next. Live from the Twin Peaks studios, Sports Radio 610 presents Payne and Pendergast. Payne and Pendergast with you on a uh, Tuesday. We'll get to the eight stories at eight at the top of the hour. The eight at eight, the Ocho at the top of the hour. Yeah. Here, here, was, um, here was D'Amico Ryan's yesterday acknowledging that they got to get a whole lot better offensively in one particular area. The running game will be significant for us to improve upon. I think as you see as you go throughout this game, especially in the postseason, right, teams that win games, you got to be able to run the football, right, and sustain it, and we weren't able to accomplish that versus the Ravens, and it showed up. Yeah, they didn't accomplish that in a lot of games this year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was yeah. just the Ravens there, game. The thing is <clears> – <throat> Excuse me. Because the offense don't worry everybody, I'm not going down that same road I did. <laughs> no, you sound ago. great, Seth. Yeah, I just I had like an actual just a little thing in my throat. Yeah. Um the the thing about the rushing game was that it improved way uh, by leaps and bounds over where it was, but it was still not anything that you could depend upon. It wasn't a driving force. Uh, it was kind of awesome when it showed up, but it, it wasn't anything you went into I don't know if there was a single game this year where I went into it thinking it was a strength. I remember Time after time, seeing they might be going up, the Texans might be going up against a weak rushing defense, and I would say something in the pregame like, hey, you know what? There's an opportunity. Oh, never mind. Yeah. Um, it, yeah. So, yeah, that's got to get better because th this is the whole thing. They use it. They were going to commit to it for a couple reasons. One, they want to get better at it. Two, even if you don't run well, it does still set up the play action just by showing that you're committed to the run. That doesn't make it still a good thing that you're not rushing for the yards. It's like, okay, we ran unsuccessfully on first and second down. So it sets up the play action real well, but it's third and ten. And it's still hard whether the play action's set up or not. Well, you wouldn't be running play action on third and ten. But, you know, you get the drill. Um, it's just not 
it, it's not where it needs to be. No. By the end of the year, they're using Devin Singletary like he's Emmett Smith. <laughs> you know, like they're they're running Devin Singletary like twenty two times a game. You know what I like it's that, you know what it's funny. Just forget, from a personnel forget, standpoint, it didn't play out how they expected it to play out. No, it's funny because uh, when you put it that way, too, those last few games, I had kind of just stumped for go ahead and do it. These last few games, because he's not a he's not a bell cow type of guy, but he's who you have right now. They did only run him in the last five games. They ran him more than sixteen times, just once versus the Colts. Um, so it wasn't, you know, it wasn't like he actually became the bell cow. He had that 121 game versus the Titans. Mm-hmm. And then in the five games after that, they never really ran him a bunch. In that Colts game, it was 24 carries for 63 yards. Yeah. So, yeah. It, it just wasn't, uh, it wasn't, it wasn't a driving force for anything. No, no. So they've, they've got to improve now. Now here's the thing. I, I think for people who are clamoring for change on the offensive line, yeah, it's going to be tricky, man. I mean, they, they th- three fifths of that offensive line. Is it the beginning of are are at the beginning of contract extensions that they signed last year? You know what was the what was the question on the text line? Here, it, well, I'm, I'm leading into it. Okay. Yeah, I'm leading into it. So, and it's about the offensive line. Um, and the te- the question is this: By my count, the Texans lost four starting offensive linemen at various points in the year, plus nagging injuries to all of them at some point, except maybe Shaq Mason. I'm adding that in. Shaq was a rock all year long. But yeah. anyways, ton of injuries on the offensive line. The question, Seth, is is an O-line of Tunsil, one of the Greens, Scruggs, Mason, and Titus adequate to take on the Ravens, assuming decent health? Um, you know, they he forgot to include Patterson in there yep. as an option, too. Because I think Patterson uh, I think Patterson is a guy that may be more versatile than Juice Scruggs, and I think might have a future at guard. So he's going to have a chance to compete for that. He's one of the guys D'Amico mentioned as one of the young guys that they're, they're optimistic about yesterday. Um, it could be. Like, the whole thing about an offensive line is if you've got three good guys, you can totally get by with two just journeyman types as long as they're coached really well and they're all on the same page. The biggest, and we've seen this before, we saw this with Gary Kubiak's offense. You know, Gary Kubiak's offense in Houston never really took off in the run game until Alex Gibbs Sr. got here. And even after Alex Gibbs Sr. got here, if I recall correctly, there's still one year before both Arian and Steve Slayton kind of took off and, and started making some hay there. So I, some of it is just it takes time to really learn how to execute the run game properly uh, with this outside zone scheme. The, the running backs, the offensive linemen, and the quarterback, when this system is run well, are all – interrelated and more like like the more important in the run game than in a lot of other schemes it's not as simple as as, here's the play block it up running back hit the hole so from identifying the front and making any adjustments there for from the offense that that's the quarterback from the offensive line making their calls and then the running back understanding exactly how the offensive line is going to adjust on the fly it takes time and it takes reps um, so like hopefully next year they just look, they look more cohesive. Okay. You that, okay. That was good. There's a lot there. There's two questions that come up from you saying what you just said that I want to ask you. Are you the first one? Are you concerned that Titus Howard has yet to take a snap at right tackle in this offense and he will likely be the starting <laughs> right tackle next year? Uh, no, no, okay. no, I'm not. Okay. I don't, I think he'll be fine. I think he's actually built for this scheme. 
And I, I understand what you're saying, though, too, in that he hasn't taken a rep, and I just told you about how hard it can be to necessarily yeah. execute it properly. Yeah. He's, he had to learn all of it as a guard, which is a lot harder. Um, so I don't worry about it as much. In terms of understanding the philosophy and everything, I think he'll be all right. Okay, my other question. You just said I'm that— I kind of miss George Fant in a way, but yeah. Just, yeah. I think Fant's going to be starting somewhere next year. Not like a highly paid starter, but some team— you know, that's, that's got cap issues. We'll go, all right, we'll give $6 million to George Fant to be our right tackle, I guess. I have to go back and look, but I think he, I think his this year with the Texans was better than his last year with the Jets. It might have been. Probably, he might have resurrected himself. Yeah, yeah, that's a good way to put it. Um, the other thing that you said there, like that that you can, I don't know if get by is what you said, but you basically said if you got three good offensive linemen, you know, that you, you can you can work with that if you got three good yeah, offensive linemen. Yeah. Are Laramie Tunsil, Shaq Mason, and Titus Howard three good offensive linemen in the vision that you have of what good looks like? Like, is that a good three? It's in my mythical scenario, you still have to have uh, like uh, either two of the guys. I don't like that left guard center spot because it's too much of a weak point. A lot of this hinges on Scruggs being a passable center. Yeah. So, yes, it's good enough if like. It's Scruggs has got to be a passable center, and then whoever's at left guard has to be a passable left guard. Scruggs is not. I, I don't think, and it, like right now, it doesn't appear that Scruggs is really cut out to be a left guard. Um, I still am very optimistic about him at center. Now, I've been wrong on offensive linemen before a lot because it's the most technique-heavy position, and some guys do just things just kind of click for them that once they really figure out the technique and once they figure out how to play in the NFL, a lot of guys just all of a sudden become, they, they skyrocket because it all just clicks for them. Dwayne Brown was that way. You know, Dwayne Brown uh, was, was a huge disappointment as a rookie, ends up being one of the best tackles in the league for a long, long time. So I'm not counting him out. It's just like right now, I really like him. I, I still am very optimistic about it at center. I'm skeptical at left guard. Yeah. Um, text message, uh, this is on the heels of Ross Tucker joining us in the previous segment. We talked quite a bit about the, the Texans. I want to get back to what Ross said about the Texans, but quickly here. Someone says, advantage Chiefs in the AFC title game because of the quarterback big time. Mahomes is a big game player. Lamar Jackson is not. I'm not a Chiefs fan, but I think they're going to Baltimore and winning. It's, I mean, that, it, it's tough to argue with the Mahomes side of that. He is a big game quarterback. He's in the AFC title game every year. I don't yeah. know, man. We might see we we might have seen the 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 appearance of a new Lamar Jackson in this past I, game. I, and I yeah, I don't know if if it's even a new Lamar Jackson as much as this is the the Lamar Jackson that could have been around the last couple of years if they had switched offensive coordinators and if they had found the, found the right receiver. It's funny because I think I think a lot of people are just kind of fly by saying like, well, they have better receivers now. And I'm looking at it, I'm like, all right, well, like it's not like Odell Beckham Jr. has been a machine everywhere he's gone. Yeah. And Zay Flowers is a rookie, and it's Zay Flowers hasn't been like Tank Dell. Zay Flowers has been really good, but he hasn't been like a, a field stretching menace the way that Tank Dell has been. He's averaging 11 yards per catch. Mm-hmm. So I think that part of it, I think is, I, I think people aren't giving Lamar Jackson enough credit. But the the receiving core, I think, is deeper for him perhaps than it was before. But I think that, <clears throat> and in a lot of ways, like Greg Roman as offensive coordinator for Lamar Jackson. It, it, it kind of felt like almost, you know, like in a family where maybe let's say a, there's a, the family owns a business and the father's got three kids and he kind of thinks of one as the smart guy and that's the kid that's going to take over the business where like the second child is actually like a super smart guy himself. His dad just has never seen the potential in him. This is 
probably the plot of like 29 different movies, but I felt like Lamar Jackson was kind of like that second kid whose father just wasn't ever going to acknowledge whatever skills he had mm-hmm. and had him pigeonholed. It's like, no, you're going to work on the assembly line. You're, you're going to let your brother run things. Yeah. You're the worker. You're the worker. And I feel like that's where Greg Roman... I don't think Greg Roman ever gave Lamar Jackson the real tools to ascend above where he was. He just thought of him as like, yeah, well, use your legs. They're an awesome weapon. I, I've, just, I've seen it now all year. Lamar Jackson doing it both with his arm and his legs... And and having the ability, he's got multiple different options no matter what teams throw at him. The the old Lamar Jackson, somebody yesterday said that um, they need to talk to Mike Vrabel to figure out how to beat Lamar Jackson. No, that was that was the Lamar Jackson that if you limited his ability to run outside and if you took away the middle of the field, he was kind of SOL. Well, this Lamar Jackson is actually throwing outside the numbers and using them way more effectively. Um, the, the actual run game itself is more diverse. The, the passing game is more NFL ready. Like, it's just, it's not the same offense that Mike Vrabel shut down. I wonder, too, what the chicken and egg effect is with Lamar with the big contract. Like if you, you, once you give him that big contract, it's like, all right, we got to get more out of him now. You know, like we, you know, like the, we, we need to move what the ceiling is for Lamar Jackson. If we're going to be paying him $55 million a year. But, and that's like, so that's the impetus for the change, but really shouldn't they have realized like, isn't winning a Super Bowl enough to make that change? For sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not even saying that's the case. I'm just curious if that's the case, you know, I'm just kind of spitballing. I mean, at some point, well, I do think that, I think part of, Lamar Jackson, I would guess. I don't want to put words in Lamar Jackson's mouth um, because Ravens fans I've found hate when I do that. So (laughs) I've been under assault. Good for the YouTube. I've been under assault. (laughs) Um, If I were Lamar Jackson, I would be getting frustrated over those several years feeling like, man, I'm looking around the league and there's all these quarterbacks running these systems that don't look like ours. Like, why do I have to be running? Like, like almost – if I were Lamar Jackson, I would feel like, how come uh, I am stuck in the remedial course? Mm-hmm. Like, why? Like, do you think I'm that dumb? Like, am I an idiot to you? And, it, like, what might have seemed like the obvious choice to him, which was get me a new offensive coordinator, like, he also doesn't want to be the guy who's a malcontent and the bad guy in the organization. So if it's me, if it's me, I don't want to be the guy that, like, gets somebody fired or what have you. But, my God, what are we doing here? Right. Um, like, I think there's there's probably a whole bunch of stuff that went into all that. Yeah. Well, and the contract situation is his chance to push the issue with stuff like that. Yeah. You, know, you yeah. can't do it when you're yeah. in your second or third year of your rookie deal. Um, real quick, before we get to the 8 at 8, and by the way, you're listening to KLT, KLT HD2 and Odyssey Station. What did you think of Ross's take? And we just got done talking to Ross Tucker about 20 minutes ago. Um, we asked him right out of the shoot. You know, he was on the call on Westwood One for Ravens and Texans, and what his big Texans takeaway was. His big Texans takeaway in a game they didn't get to the red zone a single time and didn't score an offensive touchdown was he came away super impressed with C.J. Stroud. <laughs> what did you um, think of that? Yeah, and Ross isn't one to like you know try to play to the home team or anything. No, he's pretty, not at all. He's pretty brutally honest. Yeah. Sometimes I think he enjoys uh, angering our our listeners. Mm-hmm. Uh, I. I, I was glad to hear that from him because I've kind of been struggling. I've been trying to evaluate myself whether I'm being just overly biased or just too generous to, to CJ. I, I think that to hear it from Ross, it was nice to hear him say that the, the surroundings, the guys around him so thoroughly let him down that he did about as well as he could have. The one question I would have is just kind of 
there were times where the Ravens were rushing for, and I think in other games, in certain circumstances, he would have stepped up in the pocket, or he would have scrambled around a little bit more within the pocket, where he seemed he seemed very quick to flee the pocket in that game. Yeah. And I, I, w- the, the break I'll give him is that I saw a lot of quarterbacks do that versus the Ravens this year, because the Ravens do a really good job of just sucking up the options downfield and giving a different look at the snap. Like, they... They do what every defensive coordinator would love to do if they could trust their guys to execute it properly. They show one look, and then at the snap, it's like, boom! You got five guys shifting, and they're all getting to their spots. And then, But this is the key. This is the hard part. Like, anybody can line up in a, in, in a fake coverage. They get to their spots, and then they execute. You yeah. know, like, they're playing just as well as if they had lined up where they were. And that's a lot for quarterbacks to handle, um, especially when you're – when your offensive line is is getting a false start every series, when you just <laughs> like you can't trust them to pick up the blitz yep. with all of that, I think that he did as well as he could have.